Well, that's the spirit of what we're trying to do here. They talk about every child mattering. We talk about every story mattering here at GPC. Um, and at the factory, they talk about every journey mattering. If you have something that matters, let us know. We'll talk about that mattering, too. Um, we're equal opportunity mattering people here. Um, hey, thanks again now for being here. We are now going to transition into our message series for this, this morning. Um, if you've been with us at all, you know we are now three weeks into a series that we're calling 150. Um, we did that because we couldn't make it quite to 180, so we stopped at 150. Now we think you know now that if you've been here, we're actually doing this series because we're calling it 150 because there's 150 of the Psalms. And this is a summer series in which we're diving into one Psalm a week, knowing in the back of our minds that there's actually 150 of these and we can only cover a few of them in the summertime. And the reason we're doing this is not just to fill the space Sunday morning, but here's the deal. The rationale for this is driven off of one of our core values at GPC, and that is we state it this way. We say that the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. The fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. When we looked at the Psalms, we feel like the Psalms give us this reflection of man's heart and man's condition and our brokenness in a way that very few other sections of Scripture give us. And then in turn, you take that man's brokenness and limited abilities and reflect within the Psalm the fullness and the complete character of our God. And so the first week we were together, we looked at Psalm 1, and there we said this, that we believe Psalm 1 is essentially saying this, that the more I want to know what God wants me to know, the stronger I become. And Psalm 1 was really about this image of a tree being planted intentionally by streams of water. And as it's planted there, and this desire to have your, your life planted by God's living water, by his word, if you will, that you become stronger and grow in ways that others may not. And then last week we looked at a very broken man. He happened to be the king of Israel. His name was King David. In Psalm 51, after he was confronted with the sin, as many of you remember in Sunday school, you heard sometime the sin with Bathsheba, where he, had, uh, he committed an affair with Bathsheba and, then, and basically just flat out killed her husband, right? I mean, that, generally speaking, y'all haven't done that. David has. And here's what we said about that, that confession chases shame, and replaces it with fullness of joy. That the shame that we all feel, because we all know that none of us are as good as we try to portray. All of us know that at the end of the day, there's things about ourselves that we don't want you to know. I don't want you to know that about me. You don't want me to know that about you. And here's the gift of God to us in our brokenness and our desire to hide our sin and our shame. That God gives us this gift called confession and says, confession will chase that shame away. And replace it with fullness of joy. And David is a great example for that. Now, this morning, we're going to look at another element of our humanity, another piece of us that's broken, that's not complete, if you will, that's, that's a problem. And that is, as we think about um, the end of our lives, getting to the end and wondering, is what I just did going to outlast me? Is the life that I lived, the energy that I spent, was it spent the right way? Did I use my time well? Is my impact going to hit beyond just my little world? Or is this it? Will my grandkids ever talk about me? Will the people who are close to me now, will they even remember me? Now, truthfully, this question is heavy enough that it's one that we cannot ask every day. 
I don't know of anybody who wakes up, hits their alarm clock or their phone alarm, and rolls out of bed and is like, man, I wonder how can I make my life matter today? You don't have time to ask that question, do you? You have to ask, what am I having for breakfast? What time do I have to get to work? The kids need lunch made for them. I need to get to the office. I need to get out in the fields. I need to get somewhere and do that. Then I've got to come home and meet my wife or my husband or go out tonight or cooking dinner or got to go to the grocery store. I've got to mow the lawn. I've got to weed. I've got to get my neighbor's dog out of my yard. I mean, and then I've got to go to bed after the meeting, and then tomorrow we'll do it the same deal. And I'm telling you, you're asking the question, is my life really going to matter? Where do I have time? to think about that in my given day, right? Because here's the thing. That question is so big we can't think about it, but here's what we know, that none of us, none of us will, would ever like to be just a number, another number at the end of the day. So let me give you this illustration. Have you ever felt, maybe the best way to ask this is, how do you feel when you have to call your cable company to fix your cable service? The general groan goes over the audience. Oh. Why? Because you're just another number, aren't you? Or your phone company. Let's just say out of the blue, just somebody happens to have a problem with their phone service at some point. And you've got to call the big old phone company. You call that big old phone company and what do they say? Hey, Tim, so great to have you calling us. How can we help you today? Right? Do they do that to you too? No, you've got to push buttons on a thing because you're a number and then you need to remember your account number and then you need your social security number and then you need your credit card number to confirm your number because you're a number to the big system, right? You ever feel that way? And so this general groan that goes about when you're trying to get a loan from a bank or you're trying to deal with the bank stuff and you're like, this is so frustrating. I'm just another number. I feel insignificant. There is nothing, I believe, more devastating to the human condition than to feel like what I'm doing doesn't matter and I am just another number. It's illustrated well with a guy that many of you now know. If you weren't a football fan before, maybe you've kind of become an anti-football fan in the last couple of weeks. If you've at all followed the story of Aaron Hernandez, the former tight end of the New England Patriots, who has now been arrested and is incarcerated, uh, not um, convicted yet, but charged with murder, first-degree murder. And here's what the sheriff said about Aaron Hernandez as Aaron Hernandez went from a 7,100-square-foot home to a 7 by 10 solo cell. He said, it is difficult for someone who has never been incarcerated before to get used to being a number. It is difficult for someone who's never been in prison before to get used to being a number. And this is true for us, isn't it? It is difficult to get used to being a number. In fact, you don't ever want to get used to being a number, do you? You're going to do everything you can in your life to avoid just being a number. Who wants that? You have a name. You're not a number. But there's something about us that we kind of wonder at the end of this life, though, at the end, and this is all over, I think I'm making the right decisions, but what if I'm not? What if my energies are going here and building this little piece of my life and my world, and at the end of my life I look back and I think, maybe I've just kind of become a number. And maybe, just maybe, my life's impact will stop when I die. How would we know? 
How would we know how to make this life count so that at the end of this life you are not and I am not just another number, a part of the system? And this is where this morning we get to tap into the wisdom of an old sage, an old man of the faith, a man by the name of Moses. Uh, many of you may think of Moses as an old uh, Sunday school story. Uh, he's got his flannel graph stuff up there, and there's Moses, and there's a plague, and then Moses is good, and Pharaoh is bad, and all that. But Moses, you need to know, wrote at least one psalm, and that one psalm we're going to look at this morning. And it's perhaps the oldest psalm, perhaps the very first psalm. This psalm was written at the end of Moses' life, when he was reflecting back on his life. So we believe it happened somewhere around Deuteronomy 33 or 34 in terms of our the scriptural timeline. Moses, in case you don't know about him, he had kind of three phases to his life, and each was about a 40-year period of time. The first 40-year period for Moses was spent, honestly, in great wealth and prosperity. I mean, he, he lived with Pharaoh. He lived with the king. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine growing up and you have whatever you need at your fingertips? You know, that stuff you're thinking about buying and you're saving for right now. You're working hard to get that. You're paying this stuff off right now. That doesn't happen when you're the king. You have it. Don't have to work harder. You have it. You own it. You need it. It's done. Payments? No, not for the king. You have it. You have it all. You have everything you need, and you're a, you're a child of the Pharaoh, and this is who Moses was. He was brought into Pharaoh's uh, palace by one of the, the, um, the ladies in his palace, essentially, and, and kind of adopted, if you will, into Pharaoh's palace, and he was brought up in a life of great luxury as a, as a man, until he was 40. Now imagine, when you were 40, think about that, all of your worldview that was shaped until you were 40 was shaped by that worldview of having this great luxury. And then something happened. Something stirs within Moses, and he kind of moves into this second period of his life. And he gets very angry because his people, the Israelites, are, are basically enslaved by the Egyptians. And Moses, in a fit of rage, actually kills one of the Egyptian guards. And this is actually a real problem now, because Moses, you never really were one of Pharaoh's legitimate children, so you've now killed this guy, and Moses knew he needed to run, he needed to flee. So he fled, and for 40 more years, until he's 80, he was a shepherd in the wilderness. Imagine that transition. Whenever you need that, that's not there. <laughs> I need uh, this for breakfast, it's not served by the palace cook. You know... Just getting used to, you know, watching sheep. Kind of like fishing. You're a fisherman, Moses knows what that's like. Just sit there and watch. Hope something happens. For 40 years, and for this, for Moses, real, realistically, this is all Moses ever thought would happen. I mean, really, what else is going to happen? I'm going to be a shepherd the rest of my life. I've come, and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So if you're in that phase where you're just kind of getting up and doing things routinely over and over again, you feel like, man, is my life really making an impact? Moses was just shepherding for 40 years. He can relate not only to great wealth, but also to great routine and hard work of the shepherd life. And then God intervenes in his life and says, listen, Moses, I need you to do something. Remember that guy you killed, that Egyptian you killed? I need you to go back to Pharaoh. I need you to pull my people out of slavery. 
And so he calls Moses to that, and Moses says, man, God, I can't do that. This is not my, not my thing. This is beyond my ability, beyond my strengths. But he does it anyway. So God brings Moses back. And so for the next 40 years of his life, the last 40 from age 80 to 120, which is pretty amazing, Moses becomes the leader of his people Israel. He gets pulled way out of a comfort zone and gets put into a position of leadership and has said, I want you to confront the most powerful man that you know in your world today. Go back to Pharaoh. Oh yeah, he's going to remember you as the guy who killed the guy, but I don't care, I want you to go back to him. And I want you to be my mouthpiece of leadership, getting my people out of this land. And so if you can relate to that at all, Moses has been there. He's been in luxury, he's been in great routine and just kind of normal everyday stuff. And he's also been called out of this into a great position of leadership. And now, at the end of his life, Moses sits down and he writes Psalm 90. It's kind of a a reflection of his life. In fact, this psalm has been read throughout church history for centuries at funerals. It it is a psalm that gives perspective to life that few other psalms give. And so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 90. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you in the pew around you. You're welcome to grab that, use that, kind of flip to the middle of that Bible. You'll find the psalms and then just flip over to Psalm chapter 90. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible that is from our pew in your lap now is our gift to you today. Take that, engage that, and find the life of God within those pages. Psalm chapter 90. We're only going to be reading 12 verses this morning. So Psalm, or Moses sits down and he writes, and he begins in verse 1. And he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, think about how long it is from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before the mountains were born, you were. You've been our dwelling place. And then he says in verse 3, You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. I don't know what kind of voice he uses when he says that. But return to dust, O sons of men. You turn men back to dust. So I guess if you were around before the mountains were born, you have the right to kind of number the days of the people on this earth. So time for you to return to dust. I made the mountains, by the way. Your, your time is done. Now let's move on to the next one. And so verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. A watch in the night is three or four hours. So a thousand years from our perspective is like a blip on your radar screen. If you're a math person, you actually care about this, um, this is essentially saying that for us, every, um, every 29,000 days that we live is like a half a day for God. Every 60,000 days that we live would be like one day for God. Moses' point Your perspective, your eternality, and we're just a little bit of that slice in here, and I think I'm pretty big, but I'm really just a little slice of the eternality of God, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He says in verse 5, You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. In other words, life begins and babies are born, and they grow up, and there's great hope for them, and it's like the new grass of the morning, but by evening, by the time they're old, they're they're old. (laughs) They're old, and they're ready to move on. And then new people are born, and all of that, it's just like grass in the daytime. The new grass springs up, by evening it's gone, and that's life. 
Just like that. Gone. And so this is the eternality of God. Moses sets it up in verses 1 to 6. God, you're so, you're from everlasting to everlasting. And I can't even put your, your magnitude on a scale. You've got so much perspective. And here's the thing, even this morning, if you are not, if you're here this morning, you're trying to figure out who in the world God is, and you're not even sure whether you believe this Bible stuff or not, here's the thing. Don't you, don't you feel this, too? That even when there's a crisis, when you feel like there's something out of your control, don't you come back and say, okay, I don't know about all this God stuff, but I'm just going to kind of pray right now. I don't even know who God is, I'm just going to kind of pray, because I think there has to be something or someone out there who's bigger than my little world right now. And this is Moses' reminder to us. This is God. This is the eternality of God. Even if you don't believe in a God, something that causes you to say, I need to pray, I, need to, nah, I just need to pray. I've run out of options. My little world has only a few options. Now I need to just kind of pray and hope that there's something bigger. And Moses is like, hey, let me introduce you to the God of the Bible. And this is all about God, verses 1 to 6. The next five verses are all about us. And I'll tell you, the language that Moses uses is not stuff that we normally use, but I'm going to explain that as we go. Verse 7, he says, We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath, and we finish our years with a moan. Isn't that awesome and encouraging? You're glad you're here this morning. Be reminded of God's anger and his indignation and the wrath of God and all this stuff. Isn't that interesting language? That's not what you're going to see in a greeting card, is it, right? Man, you know, God is angry at you, but we hope you feel better soon. You know, love, whatever. That's probably not going to happen. This is not going to sell very well for us today. It's just not going to happen. But this is Moses' way of telling us and reminding us, listen, life is hard, right? I mean, think about all this guy's experience, right? He's seen people die. He's killed people. Right? I mean, he's, he's seen people in his family who have gone down, who have died from things. He's seen his parents die. He's seen his siblings die. He's seen hard times. And he's basically saying, God, life is full of difficult stuff. I mean, you, know, you don't need me to tell you that. You've seen the medical problems in your family. You've seen the, the lives cut short in our worldview, the kids, the, the young adults who die, and you're looking, seriously, is this it? Why, God, why this? And this is Moses' way of expressing that part of our heart. God, it's like you're angry at us. It's like this part of our life would just kind of go with a moan, and life is difficult sometimes. And this is Moses' way of expressing that. He says in verse 10, The length of our days is 70 years, or 80, if we have the strength, yet their span is but, again, trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. A very interesting verse. And so Moses puts it all in perspective here in verses 7 to 11. It says, for as great, the, um, excuse me, the, your, your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. That you are an eternal God, verses 1 to 6. You have an eternal perspective. And our world is just a little bit of that. And in our little bit, we have a lot of pain. We have a lot of trouble. We have a lot of questions, God. Is this it? And can I, really, can I really make a difference in this little part of the world that I'm in? Even with my best intentions, come on, God, if you're the one who tell me that I'm going to return to dust, seriously, can I really make an impact in this kind of world? Is this really going to matter? And this is the same reflection that Solomon, perhaps the wisest man on earth next to Jesus, had as well. As he got to the end of his life, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, in which he's reflecting on the same things. 
dust to dust, ashes to ashes, we return to where we've come from. This idea that, man, God, what else is there? Come on, is this it? Is this it? Is this all I'm going to be? Is all I'm going to be another number? Seriously. Am I just going to kind of call and go through the phone chain and someone's just going to say, yep, your number, 2,751.75, your time is now over. Next one, up. And how quickly you're replaced. How quickly your impact fades. Is that all that Moses is saying? Is there any hope? And then he offers us verse 12. Verse 12 to me is the critical piece for us to think about in this entire deal. Verse 12 is a powerful, powerful verse that if you were to allow the truth of verse 12 to land in your heart and your mind and to filter through what you do and how you think about how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you invest your resources, will, I believe, direct your life into very meaningful ways. And so for the sake of togetherness here, let's read the first phrase, the first seven words of verse 12 together. I'm reading from the NIV. Here we go. Ready? Teach us to number our days aright. Let's do that one more time. Teach us to number our days aright. Teach us to number our days aright. In other words, Moses is saying, God, listen, we do not get, we do not get unlimited refills on days. There is a deadline where I will stop getting a new day. My days are numbered. And so if that is true, if there's a deadline on my life, teach me now to number those days and to live like that. There are seasons of life where we do that, right? If any of you have ever gotten married or planned for a wedding, right? You ask a bride, not the future groom, but you ask the future bride, how many days till you get married? I don't ever ask the guy that. He's like, uh, married? Uh, sometime, you know, that, I don't know. You get, honey, when are we getting married? Okay. Ask the girl, when are you getting married? And she's usually like, hey, you know, 102 days and 14 hours, and, you know, I've got this app that I'm checking down and pull out the phone. And she knows. She knows. Okay, here's how many days, and here's what happens. Because of that focus, life changes, right? If you've never been married, you've had a project deadline, and all of a sudden things change on your project deadline. You work weekends when you normally don't because you need to get the project done. You ever train for a 5K or any kind of physical event, and there's a day in mind when you are going to perform. You're going to run the race. You train and plan for that because the days for your training are numbered. And Moses is saying, take that philosophy and teach us, God, to number our days. Because we do not have an unlimited number of days to use. And the sooner we get a handle on the fact that we do not have an unlimited number of days to use, then the less likely we are to fill our limited days with things that later in life we will regret. The sooner I get a handle on the fact that I have a limited number of days, the less likely I am to fill today with something that I will look back later on and regret. And the question is, why, God, and why, Moses, do you want me to number my days? And the second part of verse 12 gives the purpose or the reason. Teach me to number my days, all right. Look at the verse again. That we may what? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. We may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days, that I may gain a heart 
of wisdom. In other words, if I'm going to be wise in how I spend my life, I need to live like my days are numbered. I'm going to put it this way for you up here on the screen. If you want to be more than a number, live like your days are numbered. If you want your life to be more than a number, live like your days are numbered. If you want to be more than a number, I mean, come on now, if you want to be someone who's like, at the end of this life, this is not all there was, I had a little bit more impact than, than just kind of waking up and going to the office and coming home or going out to the field and coming home or getting married and making meals and being done and cleaning up the vomit and all this stuff that moms do, and a little more impact than that. If you want to live to be more than a number, live like your days are numbered, that you may gain a heart of wisdom to know if this is day is all I have, what do I put into it today? That I can be wise in what I bring in to today. Now, let's think about this for a minute. For some of us, when we hear this and think about this, okay, wow. If, I, if my days are numbered, right, and if I only have a certain amount of time to live, what I need to do is I need to fit the most into my days that I can. And this can be our default reaction, right? I just got to fit the most things into this day that I can. I got to fit the most things into my life that I can because I've got to do a lot of stuff. If I do have a deadline on my life and I have an expiration date, if I'm going to live like my days are numbered, I got to fit a lot in. And, and here's the thing. What if you could... What if you could advance your life 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years and speak to the future you? Imagine that. This might be easier. Imagine if you could back your life up. And you could know now. Excuse me. You could know then what you know now. 5 years ago. 10 years ago. 20 years ago. For some of you, I was going to say something dumb there. I'm going to let that go. For some of you, 50 years ago, right? 50 years ago. If you could know then what you know now about how to spend your money, about what your lifestyle choices look like, about what career path you really wanted to take, about really should you have dated that person or not, and should you really have gone that direction or not, if you could know then what you know now about the impact of those choices in your life, what would you do differently? And so what if you could advance your life and press fast forward to the end of your life? What if you could look at yourself kind of on your deathbed? What if you had that opportunity to speak to your future self and say, okay, future self, what would you teach me? What should I do differently? How can I live now that I don't have these regrets when I die? That I can number my days aright? So here's the advantage that we have today. We have people who have done this for us. There is a lady by the name of Bronnie Ware who in the last several years has thrown her research online, both formal and informal research, not only online but in print. Um, Bronnie Ware has been a, a hospice nurse for about 12 years. And Bronnie did an interesting thing, and some of you may have heard about her work. She has chronicled the top five regrets that people have at the end of their life. It's very interesting work. The very interesting study to look at the end of life for people who she nurses and to hear them talk and she compiled their work into basically her interaction with the top five things that people regret. And so in a way, this for you and for me is kind of like a fast forward to the end of our life. 
to say this is what a lot of people will regret at the end of their life. And so this is what Bronnie Ware has to say, right? She's not Moses, okay? But she is Bronnie Ware, yeah, for whatever that's worth. Number one, she said, this is what most people said. This is the top five from five on up. She said, number five is this. I wish that I had let myself be happier. Interesting word choice, isn't it? I wish I had let myself be happier. She writes, many did not realize until the end that happiness is a choice. They had stayed stuck in old patterns and habits, and the so-called comfort of familiarity overflowed into their emotions, as well as their physical lives. Check this out. She says, fear of change had them pretending to others and to their selves that they were content, when deep within they longed, and listen to this, to laugh properly and have silliness in their life again. Interesting observation. To allow myself to be happier, all right? Number four, Bronnie Ware. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And she would say that once they realized the true benefit of friendships, it was too late to go back and connect with friends that they had lost along the way. The benefit of what friendship brings, many had wished. I wish I would have stayed in touch with my friends. The third regret. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Isn't that interesting? And all the men in the room are like, what are feelings? Just ask some, some a female in here and she'll tell you. What are feelings? I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. And she says this. Many people suppress their feelings to keep peace with others. And as a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and never became who they were truly capable of becoming. And check out this last statement, she says. Many developed illnesses related to the bitterness and resentment that they carried as a result. Isn't that interesting? Many developed illnesses because of the bitterness and resentment of carrying feelings that had not been processed over a lifetime. You already know people like that that are coming to mind, and you don't want to be them, right? Teach us to number our days. Number two, this is the one that we think would be number one, right? This is a thing that you look at this and you think, I, the, this statement says, I wish I didn't work so hard. If we were to identify what we think the top regret would be, many of us would say this should be number one, that I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. I mean, how many stories do we need of, of men and women who have sacrificed themselves on the altar of their work only to lose their, their family and their most significant investments? Here's what, what she said about this. She said, this came from every male patient that I nursed. Interesting, isn't it? Every male patient that I nursed. Which means, more likely than not, if you were in Bronnie Ware's care, you as a man would have said this as well. Okay? Maybe you're not the exception. Maybe I'm not the exception. She says, they miss their children's youth and their partner's companionship. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on Listen to this now, the treadmill of a work existence. Over and over and over and over again. I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. And the first thing on this list, the top regret that, that Ware will say, was across the board for her, is a very, very interesting one, very intriguing, and a point for great reflection. She says this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected me to live. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected me to live. I wish I'd had that courage. 
she writes about that. When many people realize, when people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was because of the choices that they made or didn't make. Then she says this, finally, health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. And it's gone. And the chance to do what you thought you could do and maybe that was in your heart to do is gone because your days are numbered. Your youth is numbered. Your teenage years are numbered. Your 20s are numbered. Your 30s are not numbered. Your 40s are numbered. Your 50s are numbered. I wish I had the courage to be the person that I should be. So what do we do? Here's what I'd like you to do. Here's what I'd like you to ask. Here's what I'd like you to process. I'd like you to ask these four questions. I'd like you to have a conversation with someone today about this. It could be your spouse. It could be your child. It could be a significant other. It could be you're looking to go on a date this afternoon. You need a good pickup line. And you might say, hey, how about we go talk about the message here this afternoon for lunch, and this is what we're going to talk about, right? Whatever you need to do, all right, here's the deal. Four questions, I mean, four ideas to talk about. Because this, teach us to number our days all right, all right? Teach us to number our days. If you want to be more than number, you've got to live like your days are numbered. So what do I need to, number one, what do I need to add? Is there something in my life that I need to add? I just know I, I need to get to it. I need to, I need to. I haven't, but I need to. Teach us to number our days all right. And then what do I need to subtract? Because it's not only about adding. There is wisdom in reducing. Less is more sometimes. It's not about just adding, adding, adding. What do I need to subtract? And check it out. You might need to ask the question, who do I need to subtract from my life? Not just what, but who. There might be relationships that are just pulling you down in a way that they shouldn't be. Who do I need to subtract? What do I need to subtract? Thirdly, what do I need to increase? I'm kind of already kind of moving in that way, but I'm not really sure I should, and I kind of should kind of turn the volume up on that. I should increase that a little bit. What should I increase? And then fourthly, what should I decrease? What should I pull back on? I can't really pull out of that relationship yet, but I can diminish its influence in my life. I can't really stop that completely, but I can kind of pull down and pull down a little bit from that. What, what can I do? If you want to be more than a number, live like your days are numbered. If you want to be more than a number, come on now, you know this. Live like your days are numbered. That you may gain a heart of wisdom to fill your days now with the things that really matter. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Moses and his writings and his reflections in this psalm. Thank you for his experience in this world that you've given to him the language to put to our thoughts and feelings. We thank you for your fullness that you offer to us, this wisdom to remind us that every life has a deadline. There are no unlimited number of days. I will not always have the opportunity to be this young or this old or this whatever. Father, we wake up every day and think, I can do that tomorrow, I can do this later, I can push it off, I can change that later. Hmm. Teach us to number 
our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And in that wisdom, that our hearts and our minds would be attuned to what really matters, would be attuned to our God, would be attuned to our Creator. Give us that, as this song says, that passion, that pure and holy passion to pursue you, to find the fullness of life in you, that in everything we do from morning till evening, as we are numbering the days, that they're filled with a desire to go after you, to know you, to spend our time well and wisely for your sake and for our benefit. We pray this in Jesus' name.